0: your favorite pga and lpga legends pros and top instructors are right here every week on next on the t join chris as the greats of the game share their stories insights and playing lessons now back to chris and more of the show
1: all right now back with me here on the french Lick resort guest line is champions tour pro bob estes let me remind you a little bit about bob's background he is from graham texas Played his college golf at the University of Texas from 1984 to 1988, where he was a three-time All-American and a four-time All-Southwest Conference selection. He won the 1988 Haskins Award, which is presented annually to the most outstanding collegiate golfer in the nation. He helped the Longhorns win three tournaments in the 86-87 season and three more in the 87-88 year. In all, he won six times while he was at Texas at the 1985 Pan American Intercollegiate Tournament the Morris-Williams Tournament twice in 87 and 88. He also won the Harvey Penick Intercollegiate Tournament in 87, and he won the Border Olympics and Rafael Alcon Intercollegiate Tournaments back in 1988. In 1999, Bob was inducted into the University of Texas Hall of Honor. He joined the PGA Tour in 1989 and was named Rookie of the Year by Golf Magazine. He earned his first tour win at the 1994 Texas Open, thanks in part to an opening round 62, and he led that tournament wire to wire. In all, he's won four times on the PGA Tour. In addition to the Texas Open, he won the 2001 Invencance Classic in Las Vegas, the 2001 FedEx St. Jude Classic, and the 2002 Kemper Open. On top of those four wins, he has 10 runner-up finishes, eight played finishes, and 205 top 25s On the Champions Tour, he's had nine top 10 finishes so far, including a third-place finish earlier this season at the Oasis Championship, and last weekend tied for 15th at the Hogue Championship, and I'm very excited. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Bob. Thanks for coming back on the show.
0: Hey, Chris. Glad to join you.
1: So, Bob, first, before we get into all the golf stuff, I got to get uh, your thoughts on your Texas Longhorns in the in football. Finished ranked ninth last season, 10-4 season. Nice win over Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Is Texas back? Are we going to see the Longhorns back in the, the uh, top 10 and fighting for a playoff now? Um, I think so now. Uh,
0: we weren't for sure during the season, but um, I guess deeper into the season, um, they definitely started playing a lot better and then capped it off with that big win against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. So um, just like Sam Elger said, I think we're back.
1: Bob, I, I want to get you where Obviously, we're on the heels now of the Arnold Palmer Invitational last weekend, and uh, you've had some success playing in that event. You tied for second in '98, just behind Ernie Els. Want to get your recollections of uh, being out there at the, uh, at Bay Hill and your memories of playing in that event, plus uh, of Mr. Palmer. Yeah, that was
0: always a, a special event to play in. You know, it was one of the invitational, so it was a little bit more difficult to qualify for. You know, than just a regular PGA Tour event. Not everybody everybody got to play. I think you had to be on the uh, in the top 70 on the either current money list or the previous year's money list to qualify for that one and so you had to play to a higher standard so um, I wasn't in it every year but I remember playing it in a number of years and it was always special to be there and to see Mr. Palmer in the locker room and around and on the golf course and so yeah I did have that runner-up finish that one year and always enjoyed playing there.
1: And speaking of Mr. Palmer Bob uh, you got the opportunity to play with him be paired with him At the 2004 Masters, his last Masters appearance, boy, that had to be something special. It was.
0: um, I'd gotten to know a number of the committee members members at Augusta National, and and so that was um, quite an honor to be selected, to be one of the ones that was chosen to play with him in his last Masters. Um, I believe Nathan Smith was, I mean, I'm just making sure I have the correct last name, who was the mid-amateur champ. He was the other member of our group for those two days. And so, um, yeah, it was quite special. I think we had pretty good weather for the, the two days. And so it was, you know, everybody was out and excited to, to watch Mr. Palmer. He was excited to see them. And he would usually hit a shot and then walk over near the ropes where he was able to, you know, visit with people that had been coming to watch him play for, you know, 50-plus years.
1: When you're walking that uh, final time with mr palmer, what, what, what was it like for you? Were you interacting, getting, getting the opportunity to talk to him and remembering his event or are you, are you locked in at that point because it's not a practice round to you. it means a lot. To him, it was a ceremonial round. but how did how did you deal with trying to you know have your own score and be a part of the masters, but also soak in the experience with Mr. Palmer?
0: Well, it was a little bit difficult. Um, but, you know, I'm glad that I got to experience it. Um, I, I can't remember everything about the two days, obviously. And I was very focused on, um, trying to win the Masters. Um, cause I had come close in 1999 when I tied for fourth. I wasn't playing quite as well at the, at the time in 2004. And I, as it turns out, it was my last Masters as well, or at least up to now. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a great experience. I remember talking to Sam a lot. Uh, a couple of things happened, um, you know, during those two days, I can't remember if they both incidents happened on the same day or not, but, um, uh, Mr. Palmer told us not to tell anybody. <laughs> so I'm not at liberty <laughs> to tell those stories yet until Sam gives me permission to. So that's something, um, just between me and, um, Sam and my caddy Chuck at this point. But yeah, but I was, I, I was very focused. I was, um, certainly, you know, prepared as best I could be at the time and i remember having to make par on the last hole just to make the cut um and that's definitely a cut that you do not want to miss at the masters everybody wants to not just play the masters to play the weekend as well and so i parred the last and um, got to play the weekend and yeah it was a it was a really it was a great week
1: And, and just to expound just a little bit on your masters experience what's it like you know, getting the opportunity—you know—you drive up Magnolia Lane. You're part of the Masters, the history, the 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 the, uh, the golf course itself, and everything that goes along with it. Is is it different than any other place? Is it different than playing in the other majors? What's it like being a part of the Masters field?
0: Oh, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, from the the very first time that I went there, um, it's almost hard to put into words. But um, it's just—it <laughs> seems like. The week of the Masters, it seems almost like the, the world stopped. And and so um, everybody's in such a, a cheerful mood, um, and there's just no place else that um, any of us would rather be the week of the Masters. It's just such a beautiful setting for a golf course. Everybody's so nice and so um, respectful of the players and the members and the game of golf in general. It's just. Such an amazing week every year.
1: And as you talked about, you finished tied for fourth in '99. So I'm I'm imagining you're going to bed after the third round on Saturday night, and you're only a couple of strokes back. Are you thinking to yourself, "Oh my God"?
0: Well, yeah, but you know, up to that point, that uh, I'd always hoped and planned on winning the Masters, and so I was looking forward to it, and I was playing well at the time, and. Um my short game was probably as sharp as it had ever been. And so I'm sure, I, you know, I hit it, you know, good enough. But my, my short game was really, really sharp that week. And I remember in particular um, on that back nine, I believe I made eight pars and a birdie, but I was all over the hole and just could not get it to go down. So So things could have turned out differently, but it was still a great experience.
1: So Bob, this week we look ahead to the Players Championship, and you played in that tournament many times. What are what are some of your memories of being a part of uh, of that great golf tournament?
0: The thing about the Players Championship is just how difficult it usually is. Now, I guess when they moved to the springtime or moved to May, excuse me, in two thousand and seven, typically the golf course, um, you know, it it may be played firmer and faster. But the weather can, can play havoc with that tournament, you know, as we've seen in the past. And so the weather does dictate a lot um, as far as how the how that course and tournament, you know, play out. But um, it's, um yeah, a tournament that I've, I've played well at at times in turn, and and
1: in a, in a tournament that
0: I've really struggled at at times. So I, I, I looked up some of my finishes, and I think my best finish was a, a tie for 15th in 2012, if I'm not mistaken but I also yep. noticed that there were a couple of scores that I shot in the, the 80s as well. So, um, um, you know, I played a lot in the, in the spring, you know, m- more of my players championships were, you know, from 1990 through on 2006, there might've been, or 2005 or six. Yeah. I'm trying to remember one of those years in there. I think I wasn't exempt and, and missed, but, um but yeah, the, you get a lot of those cold fronts that um, are still maybe pushing through um, in March, and you can get some, some pretty strong north winds. So I remember playing in some really bad weather at times, whether it was rain or wind or both, and that really makes it interesting. Um on those last couple of holes, 17
1: and 18. And speaking of 17, most is that the most nerve-wracking tee shot in golf? Um,
0: probably so. I, I'm sure there's a there's a few others, but um, but as far as just the 16th at um, in, in Phoenix at TPC Scottsdale, that's pretty nerve wracking as well. But you miss the green there, and you don't have to retest. It's very nerve wracking, and so you have to really focus and try to calm yourself down, and and just hit the shot. And for the most part, you're almost always just playing to the center of the green there. But even the center of the green is is hard to hit with a, a wedge or nine or eight iron when your heart is beating that fast and you're maybe playing into a, you know, 10, 15, 20 mile an hour wind or a crosswind. So it's um, obviously all those people watching, you know, with that amphitheater setting. So yeah, it's a, it's a really nerve wracking shot.
1: What's the best and worst shot, whether it was you or somebody else that you might, you might've been playing with what's the best shot you've seen there? What's the worst shot you've seen?
0: Well, I obviously, we see a lot of the replays of guys that have made hole in ones or the shot where I think Fred hit it in the water and then either retreated or went to the drop circle and hold it for a three. And I actually did that once. I don't remember what year it was, but um, one of those years I hit it in the water, went to the drop circle and then hold my third shot for a par. So um, that was pretty cool. Can't remember how I did that particular year, but um, yeah, we've seen, seen all kinds, you know, you've seen the shots that, um, in particular where guys hit it and they hit it perfectly solid and they're posing on it and it doesn't even land on the green. Typically it you know, it might fly over the back, you know, or one hop, you know, off the back of the green into the water. And so, um I I've I've hit a number of balls in the water there. Uh, I was actually glad to hear about the the term moving back in the spring because every turn every week there of the players championship they always flash up that um, balls-in-the-water leaderboard for a uh, career or going back to a certain year. And I think Bob Tway is leading that, and I think I might still be in second place. So <laughs> I, I was glad to hear that they are moving back to March. So I'm hoping that some of the veteran players will, um, you know, get wet a time or two and maybe bump me down the list or maybe I'll move off of that list <laughs> at some point and I won't have to be reminded of it every year.
1: <laughs> That's great. Bob, switching gears a little bit. All the rage right now on golf radio has been about the rules changes, particularly the new drop rule. What are you and your peers out on the Champions Tour? What do you guys think about it? Um, I don't think too many guys have,
0: you know, on the Champions Tour at least too much trouble with the the drop, you know, except maybe for the guys with, you know, bad backs. But um, I remember um, at the U.S. Um, Senior Open last year talking to somebody with the USGA about, um, the proposed drop and how we might be changing that. And, you know, my suggestion was just anywhere between shoulder height and knee height. You know, it's like, why does that have to be so precise? Especially when you're able to often drop the ball anywhere within two club lengths or one club length, depending on the, the drop or the rule of time. But, um, but that obviously didn't get either passed on or accepted because now we're just dropping at knee height. So, it's um, it's not that big a deal. I kind of understand why they did it, but, um, you know, that one is is just not as big a deal as maybe some of the other rules changes that um, I might disagree with.
1: So to that end, what are some of the other ones you've looked at and you're scratching your head going, I don't get this? Um,
0: the one in particular um, that I don't agree with is the one about uh, a damaged club. Not damaged out of anger, but maybe you just um you know, you're hitting shot up at a tree and the shaft breaks or or you're hitting one of the obviously these drivers with very thin faces, um, the faces crack. And so um on on the PGA tour, and on the champions tour, we're usually able to um quickly have a replacement club um in our bag. You know, a rules official might have to go and grab one of the locker and bring it back out to us. But, um, but that's something that I disagree with as far as new rule. I think that, you know, we should be able to, um, you know, replace a driver. We almost always have, um, you know, exact replicas of the first team driver that we play or, you know, putter, sandwich, three wood, whatever. And so I think that, um, you know, we should have still been able to, um, replace those clubs. Um, I tweeted, um, a couple of weeks ago about a scenario. Imagine if Tiger Woods was, um, you know, had a one shot lead or anybody else, you know, teeing off um, the last round of the masters right there next to the clubhouse, let's say. And the opening tee shot, um, the face of his driver cracks, you know, he, he could easily just walk, you know, steps in the locker room and, um, and grab the backup driver, but that's no longer allowed. So he'd be playing the last round of the masters without, um a driver or a driver he'd be comfortable with hitting. He could still maybe hit it, who knows where the ball might go. So that's one of the rules I, I do or one of the real changes I disagree with.
1: What about the flag stick? Are you uh, are you using the flag stick in the in the cup or are you old school still pulling it out?
0: I'm doing both and one thing that I explain to people is a lot of times, don't forget from long range we've always had the flag stick tended. So it's not so much about the flag being in versus out and the balls with the flag stick and, you know, stay in or bounce away or whatever. A lot of times it has to do with just perception, you know, being able to to see better. So on longer putts in particular, um, I'll just have my caddy leave the flag in. No need to, I mean, I could have him obviously tend it and remove it, but um, for the most part, um a longer putts and other players in the champions tour have been doing the same thing we just leave the flag in from longer distance um yeah just so we can also just you know see and judge the distance better so uh, some guys will still leave it in for shorter putts but not very often on the champions tour seems like most of the guys do it kind of like I do it um we will we'll leave it in on the longer putts and take it out on the shorter putts. Um, you know, sometimes the guy might roll it up there a few inches and still just go ahead and tap it in with the flag in. But usually when we're putting, um, you know, anywhere inside, you know, 20 feet, guys do it kind of like we have in the past and just have the caddy remove the flag stick. Um, not often you can hit a putt so hard that you'd have to worry about the flag stick actually slowing your ball down. Um, so, um, yeah, that's kind of how we go about that on the champions tour
1: most guys anyway bob just a couple more before we let you go and i want to get your thoughts on golf equipment it has certainly come a long ways since you know your late 80s when you when you first started getting out on the pga tour how much better is it now than from when you started and are you driving the ball the same distance that you were you know you're 53 now Driving this, they're driving the same distance as you were when you were 23 and 33?
0: Oh, no. I'm hitting the ball much further than so were the rest of the guys on the Champions Tour. Before, you know, it's not just about the golf ball. Well, it's a combination of all those factors. Um, the solid core balls, the, the hot faces or thin faces, and graphite shafts. Um, so that's one of the things that's, you know, not talked about as often. Um, I have a couple different drivers that I play depending on the golf courses or the day of you know, the tournament or whatever. I have a longer driver that's about 45 inches, which I use a 60 gram shaft in, and my shorter driver, which is about 44 inches, has a 70 gram shaft. So I, um, so what I was going to say was, is because of the, um, the weight of the clubs and being able to make them longer and, and having the ability to build it to swing faster and generate more club head speed, um, yeah, it's just a, a whole lot different than what it was in the past when we were playing wooden woods and, and heavy steel shafts. You know, straight through the back. So, yeah, a combination of all those factors allows us to um, hit the ball quite a bit further than we did, um, you know, when we were quite a bit younger.
1: And Bob, as you look out for the rest of the 2019 season, what do you have goals set for yourself? What are you trying to achieve? What are you hoping for out of this year?
0: Well, this is my first year that I'm planning on playing just great Champions Tour events and playing a full schedule. The last couple of years, because of the major medical that I still had from a shoulder impingement I developed in 2013, I was splitting time with both tours. I did finish up last year um, playing mostly, pretty much just on the, the Champions Tour but um, and just barely missed the, the final event um, by one shot basically playing in those 15 events. But this year, you know, I'll play, you know, 23 or 4 or 5 or whatever. Um, there's 27 events total, but a couple of them, um, or at least the first one, I was not eligible for. So, yeah, the Charles Swap Cup is something that I would certainly um, love to win, just like everybody else that's out there. Um, yeah, playing a full schedule to, um, to try to achieve that goal. And if I don't win it, I'm still trying to finish just as high as I can at that points list at the end of the year.
1: Bob, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media?
0: Uh, well, uh, most people that do know me, <laughs> I know that I spend probably too much time on Twitter, but um, I am on Twitter a lot. Uh, Bob S-S-T-G-A. Um, We talk a lot of golf and politics. Um, and then i I am maybe getting on um, Instagram just a little bit more. Um, I think that's Bob A-S-S, um on Instagram. So maybe I'll spend a little bit more, more time on that. I actually was on it a little bit today, but, uh, but more so on Twitter. So um, that's where you'll um, get more information and maybe get to know me a little bit better.
1: Well, Bob, it's always great having you as part of the show. You're a great guest, and I always enjoy our conversation and listening listening to you talk uh, about your stories and your insights. I can't thank you enough for coming back and uh, being generous with your time tonight. I hope you'll come back and join me again real soon.
0: I will. Thanks, Chris.
1: Thanks, Bob. All the best in your family. Take care. Okay. Thank you, you too. That is Bob Estes, and wow, what a great story in the in the uh, in Mr. Palmer's last Masters he gets paired with him and gets to spend uh, those uh, those two rounds with him. What an unbelievable story. And I'll tell you, Bob, like I say, is off to a great start on the Champions Tour. He's played in four tournaments, and he's got three top 15s, including uh, a top three here recently. So doing great stuff. I really look forward to catching up with Bob, having him back on the show, and really following his success all season out there on the Champions Tour.